Hello everybody, and welcome back to another episode of Mangum Reads. Unfortunately, I don't have an, inter an intro prepared, because apparently I prepare for these episodes of short stories with about the same degree of uh, advanced work that I did back in school when I was reading short stories. Are so, these bowling balls are not within your bellowick? Oh god. Sure, BJ, <laughs> just do it on the fly, that works too. We're going with B for this episode, fine. <laughs> I mean, oh, you BG can do with something with babbling buffoonery and, and betwixt our other recordings. I don't know, Spencer? Thank you, PJ, for handling our intro. This, this was an intro brought to you by Mangum Reads. <laughs> Continuing on to the episode itself. <laughs> we are returning to N.K. Jameson, our, one of our favorite authors who, of the Broken Earth trilogy, with her short story, Playing Nice with God's Bowling Ball. One of her early works, and I didn't realize how early it was. This is back seven years before she started Broken Earth, in August of 2008, written in a magazine, and having listened to LeVar Burton do this and do his intro afterwards, this is apparently the category of short stories that she'd kind of just written off herself and left back in the uh, early books of her history and been rather content not to return to it until she heard LeVar Burton read it out in front of her. Yeah. Um, I, so we all listened to uh, an episode of LeVar Burton Reads, and it was a live episode, and that meant that it was in front of a live audience, which um, I think was a an entertaining way to listen to it and it sort of has that feel of like you know there's parts that the audience laughs at and the uh, different amounts of silence that you get from the audience i also found interesting but he also does a little bit of an interview with the author herself um which i thought was really cool but there's something very weird in it to me and i know this is something that's just i'm being weird but having seen her name as N.K. Jameson everywhere and then having her referred to as Nora was just jarring for me. Listen, BJ, just because you go by BJ. That's true. Um, but many other people in my life have called, have used Hebrew name or, or my full name. And so, but it's, it is admittedly still kind of weird. Um, yeah. So... Am I Am I also right that he had at least some part of an orchestra on stage with him? Because it seemed like there was live yes. on-the-fly music and someone thanked after he was done. Yeah, he always has um, some sort of live performer for the the live readings, the live recordings. Um, and it kind of depends. He usually tends or his he and his production team try to find somebody who is like both local to where they are doing the recording, um, as well as people who do a specific style of mu music that sort of fit the theme and genre and kind of feeling of whatever story he's reading, which I think is super cool. Mm -hmm. I, well. I, for whatever reason, did not realize that um, she was born in Iowa City, so I'm guessing that her parents taught at University of Iowa or Iowa State, whatever's in Iowa City. I don't really care. Please don't tweet at us. <laughs> um, but I am thoroughly amused that she uh, went to College Park. Yeah. Uh, the, uh, having the interview afterwards was a nice little thing to see her own perspectives on her text. Um, one of the words she used to describe this short start, which again was playing nice with God's bowling ball, was that she wrote it to be pulp. And that is an excellent, in my mind, description of this story. Because I think, fair to say, this is probably the most plot-heavy short story we've done in this program in a long time. Mm -hmm. Yes. Um, I think she is sort of on par in many ways with Sanderson in terms of sort of the depth of her stories. Um, they definitely have 100% different voices and very different feels in terms of like the stories that they end up telling, but in sort of the weight that they bring to their stories and how well designed they are, 
Um, mm-hmm. I think they both do a very good job with that. And I thought it was interesting, too, in her interview that she was talking about sort of part of the reason that she wanted to write this like very pulpy story um, was that it was when she was kind of beginning to write and she was really trying to find different voices and play around with voices and all of that. And it's really impressive to me that while on the surface this is because it is pulpy it it seems a little more glib or a little bit more easy reading or whatever and it is um but that she is able to switch that voice so masterfully um and really inhabit this type of sort of pulp fiction Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. it it is interesting to see one of her earlier works because she you really can see her voice developing in this Mm -hmm. but it does come across as a bit more I don't want to say amateurish, but just very apparently earlier in her career than what how she's grown and mastered the voice with uh, respect to the Broken Earth series. Mm-hmm. This is clearly an earlier work of hers, but it's still an interesting one. Um, I just have a hard time imagining how we're going to talk about it other than just reciting the plot. I think that there are things that we can discuss. Yeah, um, past um, the plot. But let's let's, start let's get with into the plot, the plot, right? Yeah, rather than mm-hmm. dancing around it as we <laughs> always seem to do. Mm-hmm. Um, it starts with a young boy. Showing up. It starts, with a, it starts with a Law and Order episode. <laughs> I was just going to reference Law and Order. Well, she she really does say that essentially what went into this is a desperate desire for coffee and Law and Order. <laughs> <laughs> Those come through. Those come yes. through well. Mm-hmm. Um, and so basically a small child has shown up to the local precinct um, and has announced to a detective that he thinks he killed a boy and should be arrested. Um, and we sort of come into the story a little bit in media arrest where the detective is trying to piece together this story of what happened and why this little boy thinks that he should be arrested. Yeah, she's, she's trying to coax what exactly he's confessing to. She started with a confession, which is always a wonderful place for a police officer to start when handling an uh, investigation. But now she needs to know what exactly it is. Yeah. And he's being cagey and slow about the details for her. Well, and she's trying to... Pe- mm-hmm. Go ahead. I'm sorry. No, no, go on. Well, I was going to say, and certainly the first, um, BJ, as you said, we, we do start sort of in Medea Reyes here. Um, and the first description that we get of the confession, whatever else has been said, um, provokes some questions, I think. We start specifically with the little boy, Jeffy, um, with his voice and speaking to this detective, Grace, um, saying a what begins with like a very reasonable first line, I didn't mean for anything to happen to Timmy. Mm-hmm. Okay. I told, I told him, told not, him to not to it feed like it like that. <laughs> <laughs> I told him what would happen. And yeah. that's when, like, already it starts to sort of spin a little bit. Little shelf of, of horror. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Very that. Um, Very that. And it was actually kind of funny because I found another, some other recordings of this short story. Mm-hmm. And some of them are very, like, lispy thumb sucking like eight-year-old and um a very interesting voice for this child um but uh yeah it was interesting to sort of stumble upon those when i was looking for other things about this uh short story i did think it was interesting that tor reprinted it in 2014 Mm -hmm. that was the copy i read (laughs) ah that makes sense um and so it's like all right let's go from the beginning and then we get the uh, very typical unreliable narrator of a uh, maybe middle school, young middle school, but probably late grammar school child 
mm-hmm. um, of like what's important and what he thinks is important. Um, and basically he says, I had, well, Monster Fusion King, which I'm probably going to just call Yu-Gi-Oh rather, but <laughs> that's probably trademarked and why it's not in here. I saw it as Magic the Gathering, but I think it's just my generation talking there. Yeah. Uh, I saw it as chocolate frog no. cards, so, you know. What? Yes. <laughs> What's in your belly? So, so I guess if I knew less about Yu-Gi-Oh, I would have called it Magic the Gathering, but since mm-hmm. I was mm-hmm. more familiar, because you say your generation, Spencer, like you're of a different generation than the rest of us. Um, I mean, yes, you are established as the old cat lady of our group, but that doesn't mean you're actually older than pretty much anybody else. In the- I more meant that kids nowadays seem to be playing Yu-Gi-Oh more than they are playing Magic. Magic seems to be more of like just a collector's game than an act. Well, it's still an active sport in various groups, but Yu-Gi-Oh seems to be more popular among his age group than Magic. Did the you Gathering just call is. an active sport? I've I have actually watched videos of tournaments, or at least heard about tournaments that are going on. So that meets some definitions of a sport. Okay, this is a. This is going off the rails. Um. <laughs> As we always do. Let's return. Uh, so he, he reveals that the uh, him and his friend, uh, the, the Jeffy and his friend Timmy were walking past a convenience store where they regularly bought Monster Fusion King cards. Very different numbers of packs uh, that Timmy always bought four or five while Jeffy could afford maybe one a week. Uh, for reasons of the fact that apparently his family is struggling a bit with the finances. Yeah, and and so we sort of get like glimpses into I think Jamison's voice here, where there's a very complex uh, set of characters and relationships that we're not purview to. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, and we get little tidbits because it's mom used to give me an allowance, but when dad went away, we moved here to the city and she had to stop. Mm-hmm. We don't have a lot of money anymore. It's a really simple and effective way that she goes about trying to paint a living world. It's operating outside just of our perspective. She really does it well. And one of the things that I really like about that living world, and this happens in the Broken Earth um, trilogy as well. Particularly there, yeah. Is that, yeah, that she really takes seriously the complexity and seriousness of the inner life of children. Mm-hmm. Um, and that the sort point. of gravity of what they are experiencing, even as it comes out in this kind of confession and interview that we're getting here, it sounds um, like pretty small potatoes to this detective, but we know as readers and can kind of get the sense from Jeffy that like, no, this is like a really, um, what I'm telling you right now and how this has impacted my life have really sort of grave um, implication. I was gonna say, I feel like the detective that we're seeing now really does take this seriously. So there are other detectives that we meet, but anyway, we'll get to it. But I feel like she has a heart to heart with Jeffy's mom and talks about like how she understands this is difficult anyway. Yeah. Um, and so I, I, and again, you know, the next piece where he talks about like he gives up part of his lunch money and sort of scrimps and saves by withholding like normal child things from himself to buy these packs Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. um and then it sort of comes out and it's like okay so it was from this that you know timmy got a card that you liked that this all started Mm -hmm. and then jeffy got jeffy got the card that timmy wanted the cuckoo shimmer that's what i was gonna say and so we sort of get the back and forth and the the clarification from this conversation that is actually Jeffy that got the card that Timmy wanted and because Jeffy understands that basically 
his mom's car broke down so she can't get to work so she needs that to be repaired and they basically are living paycheck to paycheck that he needs to get this card back from Timmy that he traded to him for a bunch of other cards Mm -hmm. because he sort of has found out that this uh, Cuckoo Chimera is a uh, special contest contest card and that they are worth quite a bit of money, a couple hundred dollars. Yeah, and that is true to life for how much some of these uh, various collector's cards are going with now. I'm pretty sure a Black Lotus Magic Gathering just sold for 160000 so yeah, the collector market for these things has gone insane. Which is so. hilariously insane, because I ha- have had a couple of those in my lifetime. Anyway, um, <laughs> so, but the other thing that I sort of find interesting in this back and forth is that Jeffy's fairly clearly young. And um, we sort of get this like, okay, we get that he's young and sort of what he's talking about, how he's talking about it. And Grace, the the detective and the other detectives are sort of like, oh, well, I found that there might be a monetary motive to this killing. And it's just Mm -hmm. like, what? Yeah, what are you talking about? Like seven or eight. Like, I I guess I'm trying to again you know this is a short story so but like i'm trying to square this world with like something that i can hang my hat on like it doesn't seem like it's really brooklyn but maybe it is and just cops are crazy like that in a way that just doesn't make sense to me because it's like this seven-year-old was like hey i might have accidentally killed somebody and the cops like oh well there's a financial motive to this murder and it's like what I mean, from from a legal perspective, they never would have started interviewing Jeffy without his parents there anyway. None of it would have been admissible. All of it would have been a problem. Yeah. They, the fact they only call her later on is egregious behavior on their, on their part from the start. But as you said, they're very much trying to assign adult motives to a kid in a way that they just shouldn't. There yeah. should be no level of complex motive assigned to a crime that a kid's committing. That's yeah. just not there. Well, and it and so it's me... like, once we hear about the unfair trade, Jeffy's like, and then, you know, it's like, I there was an unfair trade. And I said, like, can we trade back? And then Timmy was just like, ah, you're poor. Like, that's a great story. But like, I, I, I'm i not falling for it too bad, so sad. And then he got mad. And then it's like, hmm, revenge. He could be looking at murder one. And it's just like, <laughs> what? But yeah, the... um. This very definitely follows like the law and order and whatever else where it's just like they sort of have some conversations with the kid and then the parent comes in and like then the kid sort of stops talking and then the kid starts talking again like it it definitely follows the trope of this show well and it's it you know it's interesting too kind of with this i would be I would like to know, and we don't necessarily i don't think we get any sort of real sense of it in the story um but I would like to know kind of how old Grace is and how long she has been a detective. Mm-hmm. Because you could kind of see some of this type of language still being ridiculous, but making a little bit more sense if she is sort of newly trained and trying to mm-hmm. take like concepts and known terms and quantities and trying to fit them into a situation that doesn't fit what her... T- so older right. or younger than Cassie Maddox? Um, uh, wh- younger. Which stage of Cassie well, Maddox? sure. Well, not the retrospective, because she could be like ninety in that one, Spencer. I moment like when she first when she first teams up with Frank, or in the main story after things have started to go to a bit of her hell in her life. Okay, well, Spencer, if you read the first book of the 
Dublin murder mysteries, then like be my guest and like you know talk from that. But if you, but I am just talking younger. about the book that I know that we all read. I'm going. I'm going younger. I, I agree yeah. with your interpretation, Sarah. This this reads like she's fresh out of academy and is just trying to assign things to her textbook understanding of crimes rather than has any actual you know prior familiarity with interviewing a child. Mm-hmm. And and it seems too that like Jeffy's answers come from both a place of being very young and kind of the mm-hmm. the back and forth of talking and not talking that you were talking about BJ yeah. um, come both from a place of being very young and being scared and being all of that but also my understanding or my sense from the beginning of this story is that Jeffy knows that what he has to say and the real explanation of what happened there are not the sort of narrative pathways for that to be understandable <laughs> to this gaggle of detectives, right? Um, yeah. mm-hmm. And that he he gets that the story that he has is unbelievable. Um, mm-hmm. And so he goes back and forth between, okay, well, what do I say? How much do I tell? Um, how can I frame this in a way that might make some sort of sense? Um, and who can I who can I trust to like even believe what I'm saying at any point? Yeah, I, I mean, I guess so. The other thing in my head is just like, what happens to the story if Jeffy like as a very different show would go, slams the coffee can on the table. (laughs) And the world ends? Well, no, not the world ends, but it's just, but, you know, after a bunch of questioning, he sort of takes the the coffee can out of his bag and slides it over on the table. Cassie looks into it and credits roll. Um, Mm -hmm. But, I mean, obviously a different story, but I feel like, that to me is like there needs to be have this conversation and maybe trust built up or something else mm-hmm. but presumably he has the the coffee can of the nk jamison desperately wants a cup of coffee <laughs> and she was out um like in his bag right now so it's kind of like a very weird like they won't understand and i can't convince them except i totally can but, but that I would guess be maybe... disastrous <laughs> right but also like miss I feel like this is also kind of how children just convey information. Like they don't know how to tell a coherent story or Mm -hmm. like where to lead to like the end point that they actually want to get to. And you just sort of get like stuff about Hot Wheels when you're trying to find out what they had for lunch, Mm -hmm. because that presumably is relevant in in their world. He's unquestionably a kid, but we, we do see over the course of the story, and I think I see it more in retrospect, that he is a remarkably mature kid with a surprising amount of perspective for his age mm-hmm. um, that may reflect, you know, his caginess about telling the story. He's not opening with a thing he knows will be ridiculous or may get him in trouble with the, the scale of the fact he conjured a black hole out of nothingness. So he's trying to lead them into it, but just in the only roundabout way that he's emotionally capable of. But... I, yeah, I would sorry. guess I would. I sort of assume that some of that is like kids that don't have normal upbringings sort of are differently cagey sometimes. Mm. So, well, what, what, let's do his story itself and see where we go from there. Yeah. Um, so I think you know we have talked a, mentioned a little bit um, about sort of coffee cans and black holes, but like the 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 final the final um, sort of step of this story about the trading is what is what gets us there. And so just yes. to kind of kind of lay that out, um, Timmy finally you, said, <laughs> you're a train conductor. Keep I'm, I'm trying, I'm trying to get there. <laughs> um, <laughs> the snack cart will be back later. Um, 
But Tim, Timmy needs three hundred dollars. Timmy, Jeffy needs three hundred dollars. Je, Jeffy needs because yep. his, his um, mom's car is broke, and, he's and this card is a means to an end. Yes, he's trying yes. to get this card back, and finally, um, Timmy said, "Well, Jeffy said he'd do anything to get the card back," and and Timmy sort of said, "I I will only trade it for you to you for something really really good," um, and so. <laughs> Like like a black hole or the moon. Or something. Um, the moon right. or a black hole or something. And the moon was a little bit too big. Yes. Um, and so we <laughs> we get at kind of the end of the section, and then there's a, a, a line of asterisks to kind of split where we're going next. Um, but we get at the end of the section that Jeffy made a black hole because, as you said, the moon was too big. Um, and gave it to him. And he's, Jeffy says specifically that it was just a little one um but timmy then started feeding it things and it got bigger and bigger and bigger um so i do want to pause here for just a second because this is our first mention of black hole in the story and i neglected to talk about my cocktail at the beginning of this recording i feel Um, i feel like our our (laughs) listeners need to understand the air quotes that were around cocktail when you said it because they are heavy and they're there (laughs) The 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 mixed drink that I am having. <laughs> Much more accurate. Um, so several websites um, and books list a black hole cocktail as um, sambuca and club soda in a glass. And that is what I am drinking. And it is fine. Also called a fizzy licorice, according to other sites. <laughs> yes. And that is an accurate description of what this tastes like. So, sir, would you recommend the black hole slash fizzy licorice? Um, not as such. I mean, if you like watered down licorice flavor. You're selling it well already. <laughs> Go on. I was going to say, so you say that, but it does kind of remind me of in about how old Jeffy was taking Twizzlers, biting off the ends and using it as a straw for soda. Oh, that's true. That is kind of what this is like. Um... But not as good, clearly. <laughs> no, I mean, so when I first made it um, a couple of days ago and our, our um, episode got a little bit derailed and so I had I had my first one, like I did make it, it was a pretty hot day and I made it very, very cold. And so I had mm-hmm. a lot of ice in it and uh, the, both the club soda and the Sambuco were chilled when I put them in. And mm-hmm. that, I mean, it it's, it's not great because I don't like licorice, but um, that was not bad. It had a kind of like very sharp taste to it, and um, like being with so much ice, it was a, a more vodka y, which I don't particularly like vodka either, but <laughs> I like it more than licorice. So, anyway, um, this is a thing I'm drinking. Cool. Yeah. All right. That's a black hole. I'm also a little unclear on why it's a black hole because it is completely clear. Um, I think you were supposed to get black Sambuca. No, so all of the pictures that I looked at were of clear cocktails. That bad. It's just a poorly named drink. Mm-hmm. Nonsensical. Yeah. Okay. So not not my best effort, but I did want to keep with Fair the enough. theme. So do appreciate the effort that you did put in. <laughs> and it, now I have I, a the, giant the internet has failed you. <laughs> well, apparently your experience with your black hole was a uh, similarly disappointing for uh, Timmy in this story. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> Get us back uh, on track. Trying to, because uh, apparently upon feeding it a giant stuffed panda that he won at Coney Island, the thing grew in mass as a black hole tends to do. And then the container got dented, and it apparently ate him. Mm-hmm. Which, to Jimmy's immediate distress, was he told him to be careful. And so, I feel like it's not clear that the black hole got larger, just that he dented the container. Uh, well, he mentions that he started feeding it. 
Um, so, yeah. that, so that clearly had some effect. Yes. Yeah, there is, there is not a specific mention of the black hole itself getting bigger at this point, though. Um, there were a lot of things got bigger because the panda was even bigger than he was. And then I told them it was too big. And so I feel like that's where you got the, and also the feeding aspect. Yes. Uh, but, but I feel like it, black holes get not... fed and don't expand. That's why. <laughs> fair point. Fair point. Um, but so... the, the cop, the cop's conclusion from this is that the kid is insane. As is a perfectly reasonable conclusion from someone coming in and telling you they made a black, a black hole that ate their friend. Yes. Mm-hmm. So we pan over to behind the two way glass. Um, and Grace and the captain and Grace's partner are having a conversation about this insane child and sort of are basically like, I don't know, like, I don't know what we can do. Like, we have to sort of figure this out and maybe we'll get a psychiatrist to come in and his mom will come in and maybe like we'll do some actual detective work and go to the kid's house and do whatever. Mm -hmm. But I guess I also kind of wonder like, First of all, how Jeffy ended up in a police station and just walked there, which I sort of seems it's lending to that. But also just mm-hmm. like, does this happen? Like, I feel like this doesn't happen. This is kind of like, I feel like this is very, again, law and ordery, where it's just like, it's thrown into their lap. They don't have enough information. And so clearly the things that they need to do are talk to Jeffy's mom, talk to Timmy's mom, go to Timmy's house. And, and those are each going to be, you know, separate scenes and we're going to have a dum-dum or a couple of asterisks in between each one. Yeah. And we have our first. Yeah. Or our second. Yeah. So that, I mean, that little scene is really very clearly a transition to kind of get everybody out of the precinct yep. to go somewhere else, right? Well, actually mm-hmm. not yet because they retake, you know, his statement. Oh, that's right. And then right. talk to yeah. the mom. Jeffy's mom mm-hmm. comes in. Um, and basically they have like a... Nothing really happens. I couldn't crack the kid. Very, oh my God. You know, so <laughs> yeah. law and ordery again. Um, and a really fun, you know, and I was ready to call this case too much high fructose corn syrup. <laughs> and that's the button. Um, and so then we get a another uh, transition and they've actually gone to the Johnson. Mm-hmm. Timmy Johnson, so. Yes. yes. Yeah. So Timmy's home, and they are they are talking to Timmy's mom, um, Mrs. Johnson, who it comes out that like she has called in a mix- missing persons report about Timmy, right? Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. And thinks that they're coming specifically about that, which is not the case. Um, and so you know they kind of have a conversation and start to kind of mention Jeffy and do that whole thing. Um, and kind of talk about him being sort of a little weird, a little quiet, um, very polite, whatever. But mm-hmm. uh, they very quickly just drop on her that Jeffy said he killed Timmy, um, which doesn't <laughs> seem like how that conversation should go, given that mm-hmm. yeah. they don't have a body or any information about yeah, and some seven-year-old walked in and said, I think I killed my friend, and they flipped to the notebook, and it's like, and I quote, I think I <laughs> killed Timmy Johnson. Um, it was an accident, but I think I should, maybe I should go to jail, end quote. Yeah, they, they quickly try to dial it back. Said, yeah, J- Jeffy just said this, we're, we're, we're checking it out, probably false. And the mom, you know, swallows and accepts that, which 
credit to her that she's weathering that particular blunder. Um, and they ask to go upstairs to investigate his room. Mm-hmm. And this is where things start to go into science fiction. Yeah, things go a little yeah. sideways here. Yeah, they go down into a different level. <laughs> As they arrive in the room and find what is at first a perfectly normal room for a kid his age. Posters on the wall, there are toys about, there is a bed that is partially made, and oh yeah, there is a hole in the floor and the entire room is warped into this hole. Yeah, um, and it's just like, th- this is completely ignored. Like, there's a hole <laughs> in the ceiling of the uh, kitchen. Kitchen. Going through the, that room, apparently, into a, uh, th- a, a, like a basement den, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, they go in, they see this, uh, deduce that something is up, and this is the point the mom comes in, and we start to realize what level of denial that she's in, of where she apparently has seen all this before, because how could she not? Mm-hmm. But just kind of... It's like, I don't know. Tra- Kids get yeah. up to things. They get up to things. Think he ran away after this happened. Not going to question why the entire house is now bent inward, which the detectives uh, realize at a certain point. Oh, but fireworks. Oh, sure. Fireworks can perfectly melt holes through three floors of a home and bury themselves through a television. Yeah. Um, And then this was like the... And so this is where we get the title of the story. You know, that everything sort of like whirlpooled into the central hole, but Mm -hmm. nothing's there. Um and uh, Grace's partner says, you know, looks like somebody dropped God's bowling ball in here, which I feel like it, so- it reads like it's a phrase. Never heard this before. No, right. but it did. And I should have looked it up and I was lazy and not and did not to see if it was actually a thing. But like it does. It sounds like some sort of colloquialism or something that I've heard before. And I don't know why. Why does it have that resonance? I think it's it has to do, and I did look it up, and I didn't get anything of, of use. But I think it sort of is the um, thunder and lightning being, you know, God's sure. playing bowling or oh, God's okay. bowling yeah, in yeah. heaven, yep. at, which just like hilariously goofy, just in in so many ways. But <laughs> but I feel like that's sort of like the tie in to our lexicon. Okay, that makes sense. I had completely forgotten that that was a thing. Um, well. But. But yeah, so it's just like, okay, they must have gotten into something. Um, we then uh, flash again to um, the two detectives, because it's always two detectives that do everything, um, searching the entire house, and then they go into the basement, and then, you know, it's like, oh, there's something weird, and clearly Grace is the main character um, of this show, because Talia Farrow basically has no useful thing or doesn't have as much <laughs> useful to say mm-hmm. um the, the only thing he notes of relevance is that the the den for a man cave is way too clean that there's no essentially debris of chip bags and all and beer cans and everything else hanging around well there's and also there's like no real debris from whatever has made this hole right, right? yes yeah. for, for an explosive firework there's a remarkably clean series of rooms that they're going through following this hole and specifically, yep. there is no remote for the TV. <laughs> they do make note of that, yes. <laughs> um, and basically, they sort of look, find this weird object that has Legos and some quartz, some charred spaghetti of some sort, <laughs> maybe fiber optics, um, and has some crystals. And then it's just sort of just... And, mm-hmm. um, and again, you know... Owing up to those style TV shows, maybe the lab boys can figure it out. And they um, will do so in 20 minutes because the episode has to be 
Well, it does say a few days later. No, it does. And to be fair, they didn't find anything, so. Does not need to uh, deal with the, like, propensity to uh, short pieces of reality that TV shows do. Mm -hmm. Um, So it does come back a few days later, but there's really nothing, nothing they can say about it. Other than there's some rock sugar in there. Yeah. Um, Otherwise they punt and literally just says, chalk this one up for X-Files. There are elements of an X-Files episode in this story too. That's, Uh, that's really true. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Sadly, no David Duchovny, but I will take that up within Paige Emerson. (laughs) This is very much a uh, X-Files like Law and Order crossover. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, anyway, so, uh, it sort of lingers around and nothing much happens and Grace sort of eventually, uh, wanders back to the Hansons to talk to, uh, Jeffy's mom again and mm-hmm. talk to Jeffy. And, um, basically it's like, I, you know, I kept him from home from school. He hasn't been feeling well. And, uh, Grace says, well, you know, we have a missing child on our hands, so we need to figure it out. And then she talks to Jeffy again. He's not eager to talk. Yeah. Um, um, we do, just as a brief note, in, in Grace's conversation with um, Jeffy's mom, like part of that conversation is specifically about Jeffy's father and where he is um, and why right. um, and, uh, child support is not being paid and all of that kind of stuff, um, which is specifically because like the, the man that she is claiming is is Jeffy's father, is not convinced that Jeffy is his, um, and nobody wants to have any blood tests done. So just to kind of right. lay And she lay doesn't have out. money for a lawyer, for yeah. a court order. Yep. And so we, we do get that Grace definitely feels for Jeffy and his mom that, that money is tight. And, and mm-hmm. so, you know, she's trying to convince him, like, hey, like, you can have a better life. Like, I still do want to help you. And so, again, I feel like this is a little bit of... of Jemison's voice coming through where there is this very complex backstory that we don't need to see but it is there mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and these pa- are not one-dimensional characters sure well when Jeffy punts on talking with her because he's very disappointed that she didn't believe him in the first place Grace sits down to talk with the mom and a few key details of our story start to come out in terms of well her very much believing Jeffy's story and possibly the origins of Jeffy himself. Uh, yes, and we also find out that essentially uh, Jeffy's mom kind of knows what happened. Yeah, mm-hmm. or, at le- or, or at least believes Jeffy enough not enough not to question him about it. Right. Well, no, that knows Jeffy like talked to Jeffy and has the right, story right, right, right. that you know it. There is a black hole. And Timmy's just falling into it forever, and he's not really dead, and he's not really alive, and that's just sort of what it is. Um, and they end this scene with, you still want to arrest my son for murder? And then we flash back to the precinct. And you get the conversation between the partners that is just like, the mom's crazy, the son's crazy. Grace says, wait, what? no, I really want to track this down. And her partner's like, no, you're crazy. Like, let's just get on with, like, the real work that we have to do. We have, you know, three breaking and enterings and a murder that are just piling up in your desk and you want to tra- chase down this, like, seven-year-old murderer? You're crazy. Have you guys ever read the uh, Stephen King short story, The Jaunt, by the way? No, nope. I haven't. It's worth a read. It's really, it's really short. But it, the, the, the mom saying, you want to arrest my son for murder, reminded me of something in that, of where... Uh, someone was accused of pushing up another person into essentially a teleporter 
and having her be caught in there for all eternity. Mm -hmm. And his defense on the murder charges was, she's not dead, she'll live forever. Uh, That she's just caught between worlds, essentially, and, you know, (laughs) will be in a permanent state of animation there. To which the jury essentially convicted him of an even more serious crime, thinking that was probably a state worse than death. (laughs) Yeah, similar situation going on here. You heard defense reminds me of that there. Mm -hmm. Yep. Um, And so we do have, in this kind of back and forth between Taliaferro and Grace... Um, also, Talia Farrow bringing up um, the yeah. fact that the more X Files part of this. Yeah, then we get mm-hmm. yeah we get this sort of like known articles and um, sort of testimonies from the from Jeffy's mother specifically um, at the Aquarian Association of Abductees, um, claiming Looking up if that's a real thing. <laughs> please let us know. Um, but claiming that Jeffy is. Uh, quote, the demi-human result of a transcendental visitation by otherworldly beings. Um, which <laughs> brings that whole sort of paternity question um, and child support question into the fore. Uh, so without the Aquarian part, there does seem to be like alien abductee anonymous kind of um, and associations therein. So I'm going to chalk this up to a yes it's called Abductees Anonymous, and they have mm-hmm. regular meetings, mostly with green lights. Okay. There's an article article by Van, from Vanity Fair about them. Yep, I found the same one. Um, <laughs> so, so basically, it's just like Grace's partner's like, look, this this lady's nuts. You know, it doesn't seem to be a bad home life, but like you're not going to get anything from it. It's not really worth calling CPS because you know they're just it's a single mom and she's telling the kid whatever story is that isn't like, Hey, I had an affair. You were a mistake. Your dad left us because of that. And it's kind of your fault. Mm-hmm. So, you know, just drop it. Um, I also thought it was very interesting that, um, and I assume this just has to do with like how it was printed online, but um, there isn't another uh, scene break after this conversation we just yeah. get another week past. Yeah, mm-hmm. and so we get kind of into time starts to expand a little bit here, and we start to get um, well, another week, another couple hole. of weeks. Sure, yeah. Oh God! <laughs> As she moves away from the house, um, <laughs> time starts to expand again. Uh, but we start to get this sort of like really pulling away of the narrative voice to okay, a week passed, nothing really happens. Timmy is officially listed as um, sort of missing. The mm-hmm. case, as far as they are concerned, as these detectives are concerned, is um, not closed, but it doesn't have any priority. Nothing is happening with it. Um, mm-hmm. And everyone just sort of moves on from it. Mm-hmm. Um, except for Grace. Except for Grace. Um, yeah. yeah. And so Grace, kind of, I would say a, a couple of weeks later, maybe. Um, takes off work and goes to the public school where uh, Jeffy is a student um, and kind of waits for him. And he is like really sadly all alone. Mm. Just walk, I mean, this was a sort of heart-wrenching mm. scene. He's just sort of swinging along by himself with his book bag that I imagine as being like two thirds the size of his body. Um, <laughs> Don't worry, Spencer, a tree will follow him in a little bit. <laughs> I'm assuming there were objects orbiting around him as he goes down the street. <laughs> I was thinking of a different trait, but yes. Oh, oh, God, sure, thank you. Yes, that story. <laughs> um, monster calls. Yeah, um, from a previous episode with another essentially single parent family. Um, mm-hmm. 
And basically, he doesn't really want to talk to her. He eventually sort of agrees to, and and so she tries to recreate the scene for him. And it's like, well, I mean, I'm not. I don't like. You can't blame me for not believing you, but like, but I believe you now. And now, now, like you know, I've checked into it. And so, what really happened is it started to fall into the earth, and you know, it would have become more of a problem. Mm-hmm. And it's like, well, yeah, you know, it went slow, and then I had to figure out how to prevent things from going worse, and so I sort of did. And then Grace asks, you know, well, what'd you do with it? And he's like, well, you know, I don't really know, so I've just sort of like had it in my backpack, and he <laughs> he pulls it out. <laughs> pulls out a coffee can with a black hole in it. And, and so this is where the uh, N.K. Jemison desperately wanting some coffee and then somehow coming up with black hole in a coffee can because that's where all of her coffee uh, av- evidently absconded to was down this black hole. Um, and basically there's sort of all of these sort of weird things that's sort of holding it in place with all of the stuff from the Johnson house that seems disappeared there. Including the remote. Yep. With with a mute button very obviously poking out the side. Mm-hmm. I mean, are, are we to believe that he essentially jury-rigged a black hole containing device it, just on the fly as this thing was descending and through the I house? Mean, that's what he says. The well, he jury-rigged yeah. a black hole in the first place, so... <laughs> Why not? No limit to what this kid can accomplish. Clearly. Um, and so he just is carrying it around in his backpack with him. Because otherwise his mom might clean his room and <laughs> find it. Nothing good there. No. Um, and this leads us to I, my favorite line of this entire story, um, which is sort of from Grace's consciousness, um, saying, but her place in the universe, her conceptualization of it, would be altered beyond all recognition and perhaps destroyed. For how important could her job, her life, her very existence be in a world where seven-year-olds carried black holes around in their school bags? <laughs> Yeah, that would kind of create some perspective right there. <laughs> I like that a lot, but I also liked just the hilarity of the ending. Yes. Um, yeah. Which, you know, Grace is like, well, I could just lug this up to uh, Poughkeepsie and uh, Poughkeepsie and stow it in my mom's attic. It'll be fine there for a decade or two. And yeah. then, you know, we'll see what to do my, with it. That's been my philosophy post-college <laughs> with most of my stuff. Well, your recorder is somewhere, Spencer. Yeah, we mentioned that, yes. Um, so to, to kind of get to that point, like, it really becomes um, clear. Grace asks, you know, okay, so you can't destroy it. So, like, obviously right. you can't destroy it because you're carrying it around with you. And, and Jeffy's mm-hmm. like, well, no, no, I can't. Um, and it becomes really clear to her, kind of through this conversation, that what is really weighing Jeffy down um, is like both the fact that he has this thing that he is carrying around with it, but sort of the sense of responsibility for the thing um, mm-hmm. as well, and her sort of perceptively. I was going to say as well yeah. as like this whole thing came about because he was trying to help his mom. Yep. Well, either pay the rent or fix her car. Right, because both could not be done at once. Right. Um, and so Grace really perceptively sort of says, "Well, why don't I hold on to it?" For you, mm-hmm. right? I've got a safe place that I can put this. Um, if you kind of figure it out at some point, let me know. We um, we can go get it. But I'll t- I'll take this sort of burden off of your shoulders, right? Yeah. Um, she also produces a little present. Um, in fact, she produces an exchange for the black hole. Um, and what does she give Jeffy for the black hole? 
the uh, the card in question. The, the the something cuckoo. The very same card. I don't know. If the it's monster fusion again. king card. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, in a sort of in a fair trade for the black hole, which um, is yeah. kind of goofy because as a, like don't they stop in the card shop to get like the three hundred dollars on the way back, or am I just sort of miss? Yeah. Uh, she, she's letting him accomplish the mission he set out for. That this, this is the childhood quest. She's just, you know, providing the essential tool to, to succeed in it. She doesn't want to do it for him. It's important that he do it himself. She's the uh, older, knowledgeable person that is continuing him on his magical quest. Yes, the mentor figure, if you will. <laughs> um, okay. And then... <laughs> <laughs> um, and we end up... As, as you said, BJ, that um, sort of Grace is left alone with this black hole in a coffee can and takes it up to her mother's house to just store it in an attic. And so we have these sort of twin images of seven-year-olds um, with black holes in backpacks walking around, as well as just sort of like houses in the suburbs <laughs> with black holes in the attic. Yeah. What, to what degree do you guys interpret a certain degree of uh, planning in her decision beyond simply just making a ca- the kid happy? Because there's a, there's a line here before the end of where uh, one day when Jeffy grew up and came to full power and genius that was his true father's gift, she hoped that he would remember this day. Maybe one small act of kindness would stay with him despite the abandonment and loneliness and cruelty he experienced in his life. It continues on from there. Is she doing this under a certain degree of... I need to give this kid some reason not to blow up the world when he fully understands his abilities? Is there an element of that and why she's going about this? Or is is that just a happy side effect? I mean, certainly from that passage um, that you referenced, Spencer, I think that that is is part of the calculation, right? Mm -hmm. Um, That he is, she has seen firsthand that his... His, he seems to be a really great kid now, even if he does make black holes that he gives to people. Um, mm-hmm. But that his life has been really hard and it has been really lonely. And there doesn't really seem to be an end to that. Um, mm-hmm. And if he has this sort of knowledge or this, these sort of powers, like there are, there are different tracks that that could go down later on. Um, and that maybe this could be the sort of like push towards a slightly different path. Um, or at least a kind of reassertion of an act of care. Mm-hmm. So Spencer, do you think he ever figures out how to uh, capture the moon, and that's what makes Father Earth angry? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, ca- capturing the moon. If you're, well, I mean, in, s- in several stories we've talked about on this program, there are elements of you know, stealing or gifting, or we see that in Broken Earth. We see that in this story. We've also talked before about the Kingkiller Chronicles, where mm-hmm. the stealing of the moon is a repeated story that goes on in that. Um, I do enjoy, and we we see here reference just to the scale of you know Jimmy's power that a he conjures up a black hole, a tiny one, but b the pretty much only reason he didn't deliver the moon was that it was too big. Not any other limitations on it. Just it would have been impractical just to put it in his house. Yeah, it was yeah. clearly not like out of the question as an item to trade. No, right. <laughs> that was within the realm of reasonable possibilities. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so knowing this, Grace, I think, is making a very wise decision for the sake of humanity and giving this kid some hope for the goodness of mankind. Yeah. Because if he doesn't have, you know, the equivalent of this monster, um, blanking on the name, the monster fusion card. If he doesn't have some hope that he can help his mom, if he doesn't have some outlet for the inevitable teen- inevitable angst this kid's going to get when he becomes a teenager, humanity's screwed. This kid yes. is a god. The uh, 
he needs the uh, cuckoo chimera to bring him back down to earth. Um, <laughs> so I guess as you were talking, I have a thing that I want to toss onto the stage, have everybody look at, and then probably not discuss again, and then <laughs> other things that might be more worth discussing. But um, Always fun, go on. How much of a uh, Jesus parable do you think this is? The true father line mm. at the end had connotations. <laughs> well, and the sort of father in the sky. <laughs> yeah. Father in the sky, the uh, husband of the mother that... You know, it was sort of there, but then at some point, it's like, eh, I don't mm-hmm. know about this. Mm-hmm. Uh, anyway. Yeah. I mean, it's it's certainly there. Um, oh, yeah. he's, he's even embarking on essentially a kind of resurrection story in terms of his, you know, plan to uh, eventually save Timmy. And this, all of the sort of, like, doubt around him as well, right? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's, I mean, it's certainly there. Um, I guess, so, the things that, that I sort of wanted to address face on is, I think that this story, while um, it's definitely sort of the the sci-fi mentality, um, I th- always there's sort of the question of is this the imaginings of s- the, like the titular character and what's going on is real, but a little bit different. Like, you know, they stumbled onto the Johnson's gun or something like that, and he uh, and Jeffy killed Timmy, and sort of this is the fantasy that's grown up around it. Mm-hmm. Um, but I guess to me, it's, it's much more like, this is really the story and we're really in the pulp sci-fi world. Yeah, I would, I mean, I think that this is, and I think that I would think this about the story itself without even knowing that Jemison wrote it. Um, mm-hmm. but I mean, it, this is speculative, right? Um, right. this is the world with things that, um, are true in the context of that world, but don't have, um parallels in sort of our existence um and that's Mm -hmm. allowed to just exist like that um Mm -hmm. so i don't get the sense that we have some sort of like real narrative truth beyond what we are presented with in this like we might have with your authentic indian experience right sure yeah or fairly definitely had there yeah 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 she she doesn't seem to be going for that kind of um work with this i think her i mean her stated intention was pulp and that's what it is Mm -hmm. Yeah, so and it's Spencer, a fun little story. You were going to bother me with some science questions, and um, I feel like, <laughs> I, like I don't, I can't think of any other like literary themes in this because it just, you know, just reads to me as such uh, sci-fi pulp. But yeah, uh, maybe there's more of an ulterior narrative, Sarah, that that we're not <laughs> picking up on without the uh, extensive postgraduate education. Nope, I think we got there. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I yeah I, I don't assume a depth to this story. It is it's a, it's a fun read. It's got a well designed characters. It has the inklings of a larger world, but I don't think it's trying to tell a below the surface story when it as it goes about itself. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, this was a fun short interlude for Mangum Reads. Do we have anything else to talk about with the story, or do we uh, want to introduce what we're going into next week? I was going to say, Spencer, you, you said that you had uh, uh, some science questions, but I'm yeah. happy not to entertain those if that's. Uh, <laughs> What, not you know, what we have. I, I, you know, in keeping with a law and order mentality, I was going to treat you as the generic white coat and ask you questions entirely outside <laughs> of your actual you know, area of expertise, but I think we honestly covered enough. Gotcha. Outside my bellow to continue with our B theme. <laughs> Indeed. Um, so, so, yeah. Um, I believe next we have Station Eleven. 
We had mentioned last time... After? Yes. yes. <laughs> Sorry. Go ahead, Sarah. No, I don't remember what the title is. Um, so I was going um, to turn it back so, over to you. Yes, there, there's a short story um, that we were going to do uh, that was the uh, Hugo Award winner for this year for, for a short story. And I thought would uh, thoroughly amuse you, Sarah. Because mm-hmm. the name of it is A Witch's Guide to Escape, a Practical Compendium of Portal Fantasies. Um, this is by Alex E. Harrow. Um, and this is basically about a librarian recommending a book to a troubled child. I am very excited about this story. Me as well. Um, and in that time, because um, as we are uh, always fond of having other homework to do, we are also... Um, supposedly, though Spencer, as he uh, has mentioned many times in the podcast, likes to leave his homework to the last, very p- last possible second, um, <laughs> are reading Station Eleven. Um, and at some point, we will presumably figure out how we are going to break that up and present that over likely a couple of episodes, as we do with most of our full-length novels. Um, and then sometime in the next couple of episodes, we will also figure out what on earth we're going to do after that, um, and likely another couple of short stories, so we have a little bit of breathing room each time we, um, uh, at least Sarah and I, commit to reading a novel where Spencer <laughs> just takes some uh, weekend between the hours of like 2 and 7 in the morning and just knocks it out. It's worked for the last three novels, I don't see why I should stop now. I'm not saying it didn't work, I'm just contrasting our various uh, methodologies to, to consuming these uh, media. Uh, and how we approach things slightly differently. Let me assure any of my coworkers and bosses who apparently do listen to our programs that I do not apply a similar uh, style of study when it comes to my work. Just putting it out there. Yeah, that that's essentially a 24-7. If he's not uh, eating with both hands, one hand is probably doing uh, some, some legal uh, research. All right, so besides listening to our broadcast, um, where can <laughs> our intrepid listeners find us? Um, you can find us all over the place, but mostly on the internet. Uh, we do have a website called uh, Mangum Talks. Um, we have loads of content on there in an ever-expanding and uh, interestingly uh, wandering portfolio of things. Uh, there's some forays into the uh, televised world that mostly uh, Lee and Spencer do, where they find various TV shows, mostly on what seems like the HBO network, to mm-hmm. um, consume, discuss, and um, Spencer does odd bits of research for them. Um, there is uh, Mangum Hoops, which supposedly happens every so often, which is some sort of basketball uh, banter between Levi Baxter <laughs> and Lee. Um, and every so often we also do uh, Mangum Laughs, where Lee and I uh, go through some stand-up, critique it, what we enjoyed about it. And then there is our uh, somewhat perennial Whiskey on the Weekends, where we drink whiskey, chat, um, and do all the things that keep us on brand. Um, mm-hmm. And if you have any questions, comments, or any other things that you want to uh, bludgeon us with, please click the Contact Us in the upper right-hand corner of MangumTalks.com, and somebody will address your queries, questions, and other qualms that you have with our content. Um, and with that, uh, I think I'll, that was fun, guys, and uh, bid our listeners a good evening, and hopefully uh, you'll keep joining us in, in reading our entertaining stories. All right, Sounds thanks, like a plan. Y'all.